0: So uh, welcome, glad you're here. Uh, I am Matt and so one of the pastors here at FX Church and we've been in a series through the Book of Romans. And uh, we've been going through this all fall. We will finish the end of this year and then we'll start a new book come January. But Romans is one of those books, as we said week after week, that is like Paul's writing to our culture. Rome was a republic, we're a republic. Rome was one of the most military powerful uh, superpowers ever to exist. We're one of the most, like when you compare Rome to the United States and you look at the similarities, it's scary similar. Um, and Rome fell. It collapsed. And Paul is writing to these new Christians, these Roman Christians, these Jewish Christians, and he's trying to give them a basis for belief in a culture that's telling them not to believe any of it. In a culture that's fighting to try to get people to to believe them, not what God says is true about himself. And we've been looking at that over and over and over again. We're now in chapter 12 of Romans. Chapter 12 is one of the major transition points in the book. In the first 11 chapters, Paul is laying out a ton of like theology, doctrine, like you need to believe these things. And in chapter 12, he takes a huge turn Based on everything he's taught for 11 chapters, and he's like, here's the hammer, here's the test, here's the midterm, here's the final. And he begins to move towards the end of the book in closing, and it gets really practical really fast. He doesn't mess around. And as we've talked about, our series is called Not Ashamed of Good News. We need good news in our culture. The problem is we don't understand what good news is. What God says is good is good. The Old Testament law is good, Paul says. It's good. It's good news when you should listen, if you read the book of Leviticus, you should be excited about it. I know that sounds weird. I know you're like, what? Have you read that, Matt? Like it is so strange. I'm like, I get it. But you should be excited because because it's good. It's good news that God cared enough about people who didn't know how the world worked to say, here's some rules to help you with your life, so you don't kill each other and ruin your lives. Because I love you that much. I'm going to set some boundaries because I love you. Because if I don't set boundaries, you just do whatever you want. You'll kill each other. So here's some boundaries. And we live in a period today where we want to throw that off. And what Paul's doing in Romans is he's trying to give perspective of the whole story of God. And say, I'm trying to give you a picture. Remember who Paul was. He was a Pharisee. A Pharisee had the entire Old Testament memorized. That's how you had to pass the Pharisee test. They would literally drop the Bible open, start a sentence, you would have to finish it. Couldn't do it, you weren't a Pharisee. Fail. Move on and go make tents or, you know, be a carpenter, do something else. But that's how Pharisees worked. All Jewish children, all Israelite children were required to remember to, to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Like that was normal in their culture. The good ones got to memorize the rest. Like, like you're really good. Paul was one of those guys that had memorized it all and then lived in such a way where we're going to look at today where he got it all wrong. He had the entire Old Testament memorized and he got it all wrong. And he said, I was all wrong. And this chapter 12 is where he transitions that in a big way. And this morning, when we look at our theme verse in Romans 1, this is why Paul says he wrote. He says... For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. Remember, Jesus Christ the Lord means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, who is Yahweh. That's what it means in the Hebrew. So when when you see Jesus Christ as Lord, it means Yahweh saves of the Old Testament, who is the Messiah, who is supposed to come from the Old Testament, who is Yahweh of the Old Testament. That's Jesus Christ our Lord. So when Paul says, that's the good news, that we have a God, man, that's been going from beginning to end, it's the same story. It hasn't changed. There's not like, well, that's the old stuff, here's the new stuff. Yes, there's a new covenant, but the new covenant gives clarity to why the old is there. Not like it's no longer valid. Now, some of the old is fulfilled. In other words, we don't need to do it, which we're going to look at today, because it's already done. Like, you you don't go dig up, if you, for example, if you're married and your wife passes away, and you bury her, you don't go five or six years later, dig her up, and put her in bed with you. Because I want, to have, I, want, I want the old covenant back. You fulfilled your obligation, she fulfilled her obligation, she died, it's over, you can move on. Right? That doesn't mean it was bad. Man, I'm so glad she's dead. I was waiting for that one to die so I could get a new one. No! No! But that's how we treat God in like the Old Testament. I'm just so glad it's dead. I'm so glad he's over that. I'm so glad I can get a new God in the New Testament that's better than the old one. That's wicked. And so Paul says, because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, there's no discrepancy. Anyone who wants to say Jesus Christ is Lord, anyone who wants to make him God and put him at the center of their life will be saved Not physically from the ills of this world, because we have a curse of death, but saved eternally. And then he says, first to the Jew. In other words, God offered it to the Jews, and then they were supposed to take it out to others. Guess what? First to you, then to people who don't know him. Your friends, your family. Maybe you're the first in your family. First he offers it to you, and you go, yes. And then you go out and tell others, hey, it's been offered to me. I want to offer it to you. That's what he's saying. And then he says, for it's God's righteousness. For in the good news, what is right about who God is, is revealed from faith to faith. It's one story. It's one faith. It's not like two different faiths. Just as it is written, the righteous, those who have been made right because of what God did for them, will live by faith in who he is. That's what Paul lays out. This is the theme verse of Romans. Today, what I want to look at And we've looked at not ashamed of wrath, not ashamed of justification, not ashamed of love. All these things. Today we're going to look at not ashamed of sacrifice. Not ashamed of sacrifice. You have to understand sacrifice from an Old Testament perspective. You see, in the Old Testament, the way they got it wrong was they believed that when they made sacrifices, when they went to the temple, that was the way to get forgiveness. Was you made sacrifices and that good sacrifice outweighed your bad sacri- the bad things you did and then God was happy with you. That is never what God presented in the Old Testament. It's not what he presented. He said, I'm worthy of your best and I'm asking you, instead of giving your best, like Abraham raised the knife to kill his son and God said, stop. He said, I'm going to provide a substitute. And these substitutes will be a picture of what you really owe me, which is your very life and the life of anyone you love. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to have a substitute to be reminded I should be dead. I should be the one because of my sin and my rebellion towards God that doesn't deserve to stand in his presence. But God provided a substitute. And when so you make a sacrifice in the Old Testament. It wasn't like a deal with God. You were coming and saying, there's no deal. I'm done. I hope I just give this to you because it's a representation of how desperate I am. That was the Old Testament sacrificial system. But that's not what Paul, who wrote Romans, thought of the sacrificial system. He saw it as a measure, as works. If my good outweigh my bad, then I get to go to heaven. If my goods outweigh my bad, then God will bless me more as a Pharisee than he'll bless those other Jews. That's that's what they taught, and Paul is writing here in chapter 12 after he's laid out all this doctrine, all this theology, and he just takes the sacrificial system and he blows it up, and he says, this is what it was originally about. Because remember, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, who's Paul been talking about? The Israelites. He just spent the last three chapters talking about who is a true follower of God. Talking about the covenants that God made to his Old Testament people. Now, he comes in chapter 12, and they're thinking of the sacrificial system. You have to remember, everything in their culture ran on the sacrificial system. By the way, so does ours. We just renamed everything, right? What's, what's getting ready to come up, the big holiday that's getting ready to come up? Thanksgiving, okay. That's amazing, that's amazing. What's the one after that? Christmas, right? What's after Christmas. Easter, New Year's, Easter. Like, you realize it—you realize that God, like, made these holidays. He had a Jewish New Year. It was called Rosh Hashanah. We don't celebrate that one. We told him, no, we like our New Year, January 1. Thank you. He, he had his Christmas, which was Hanukkah. And we decided we wanted to celebrate Jesus' birthday, which, whatever. That's what we did. He, he had Passover, which we call Easter now. But it's Passover. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Like everything in our culture, do you realize that most businesses make the most of their money for the year? Like like when they take total profits and divide it up, what two months are most important for most retail businesses and restaurants in the United States? What? We run by a calendar. And God had his whole culture ran by a calendar that was supposed to show them that they deserve to be sacrificed, but I'm allowing you to have a substitute. I'm I'm forgiving you. I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you mercy. And he established his whole Old Testament calendar laws, sacrifices, everything, so that people would worship him and say, oh, thank you. You're awesome. I'm just so grateful I get to be with family. I'm so grateful we can be forgiven. I'm so grateful I can be reminded to pray for the sins of my children and my ancestors So that, so that you are God. That was the point of the Old Testament. And so what Paul lays out, and he jumps right in. In chapter 11, remember where we ended, Paul is, breaks out in song. He's been teaching about theology and doctrine for 11 chapters, and then he breaks out in a song. I don't know about you, but if you've been in class, if you're maybe a seminary student, or and you've been really studying at heart and everything else, when was the last time you, like, Just broke out in song because I get to like study all this hard stuff and lay this all out and I get to write. I mean, sure, when your thesis is over, right, you're like, hallelujah, like you're praising God. It's done. It's over. And Paul kind of comes to that moment here where he's just like, I can't contain. After teaching for 11 chapters about who God is and about how he's made the world and about how things work, I can't help but worship right now. And he breaks out in a worship song. He's just like, I gotta, ah, this is awesome. And he says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unchangeable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever first given to him and has has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. And you're like, amen, let's close the book. Paul's like, nope, not done. Paul breaks out in this worship where he's like, I know this stuff is hard. I know it's hard to understand sometimes, but can we just pause and remember who we're talking about? We're not talking about knowledge and getting knowledge so that we can know stuff and get the life we want. We're talking about knowledge about the creator of the universe. And man, I got to break out in song when we start talking about that. That excites me to know that there's a God, that there's a plan, there's a purpose, that it's not just random, that, that he's in control. And then Paul goes into chapter 12 and he says, and this is a big moment in this book, therefore, (laughs) whenever you see a therefore in scripture or a but in scripture, you need to pause and ask, what's it there for? Why was it put there? Because a therefore is a transition. It's a moment of like, therefore, because of everything I've just been teaching, therefore, by the mercies of God. The mercies, not the wrath of God, not the, like, because God has been so merciful not to destroy us all, not to destroy Israel, which they deserved and he hasn't done, because God has been so merciful, because he's so patient that he desires that you, that I, that others would come to know him, I urge you, and he says brothers, by the way, he uses a term of family, therefore family. Family. By the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. uh Wow. I've read the Old Testament. I know what happens to sacrifices. I I don't really want that. They slit their throat and they bled out and they died and were burned up and then they got eaten by people. Like they did. the priests ate part of, uh, celebrate and they ate and it was a reminder that God provided for them and it, it was actually them that deserved to be consumed but God gave them a substitute. That's what communion is, by the way. It's a reminder that the blood and the body of Christ that we consume is, should consume us. We should be the ones that are consumed by God but he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. That Jesus came and he lived as a sacrifice. Philippians said he emptied himself of his rights to deity. And he took on the form of a slave, a servant for us. And so when Paul writes here, he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is instead of a dead one? When you turn the heat up, the living sacrifice can jump off the stove. (laughs) Jump out. Jump out. Ah, too much, I'm out of here. A dead one doesn't move. (laughs) And so Paul is saying, look, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which is what Paul says, but but Christ has made you alive, a new life. Now that new life you have, you don't use it to demand your rights. You use it to to lay down your life for others, to give up your life, to be a living sacrifice. Not so, listen. Listen. Not so you can get something. Because you recognize you already have everything so there's nothing else you need to live for. I don't have anything I need to live for to cling to because I've already been given everything. All the reason I want to live is so that others can see there's a living God. And I can trust him that if I crawl up in the altar and I die to whatever he asked me to die to, that he will resurrect that and he'll bring life to it. That's what Paul is writing here. And then he goes on and he says, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, it's not just you just willy-nilly say, well, here I am. I'm crawling up on the altar. He's like, no, you you check your heart. Why am I doing this? Why am I sacrificing? Well, God, I'm sacrificing to you because this is hard. And I'm a living sacrifice for you. Or do you come to him and like, I don't even deserve to be alive. And I know that I can trust you that if if I lay down my life, that you'll give me eternal life. And so my life today, it's yours. That's what Paul's writing, and he says, this is your spiritual worship. Let me ask you, if I asked you, and I said to you, we're going to worship, what's the first thing that pops in your mind if I say, we're going to worship? What are we going to do? Where's that in the Bible? I mean, worship and singing go together like we should sing. See what we've done is all these terms that Paul's been defining for eleven chapters, and he drops in here like the term like sacrifices and mercies and this this term of worship. We've allowed culture to define these terms for us instead of finding God's definition for these terms, and it's killing us. Worship is not singing; it's a part. It can be a part of worship. Paul says to sing a song in your heart. Worship isn't. It's the heart bow to God surrender to God whenever you do that whether you're singing can't sing whether you're in a coma and in your mind bows to God doesn't matter it's worship worship is anytime we say God you're God I'm not I choose your way not my way that is an act of worship that is saying I'm willing to lay down my life because I believe you have life that's worship We don't ever, you could come to church and never sing and be completely and fully in worship. You could come to church and we could all sit here and not say a word and you could worship. It's not music. And yet that's what we are fighting for so much in our culture. Most people make decisions on which church to go to based on worship, not obedience. The feeling, the, the show, the whatever it is. They don't look at their heart and say, is this a group of people that are trying to live surrendered to God? Is this a group of people that are trying to be living sacrifices? Are these people truly living their lives surrendered? You know, I think if, if more Christians would ask that question, we'd probably kill the prosperity gospel pretty quick. Because when the pastor's living in a $10 or $20 million mansion, And there are people suffering, and he doesn't even open his building to those people. Maybe we pause for a minute and go, that doesn't seem like worship to me. That seems very selfish. But see, we won't do that, because as long as he looks good, and the music's good, and the bills are paid, and, and, and it looks big and flashy, well, then he must be, that must be God. You realize that God tore down his worship center, right? Multiple times. He took the temple of Solomon and he leveled it. He took the temple of Herod and leveled it. To say that is not what worship looks like. Worship is a surrendered heart. You're not surrendered. So I'm going to take away all the stuff that confuses you about worship so that you have to ask the question, do I really want to live this way? We're seeing that happen in our culture and Christians are freaking out cuz we're going to lose guys i can tell you i'm not going to lose my worship they can take my house they can take they can take they can take my life they can torture me they can i'm not going to lose my worship cuz worship is here now jesus said he transferred it to the human heart that was prophesied in jeremiah and ezekiel that god would take these hearts of stone cold stone like a temple and resurrect them and give us hearts of flesh that would respond to him in relationship Paul's a Pharisee. That's why he's writing this. He goes on. He says, look, do not be conformed to this age. In other words, whose definitions do you go by? Every age is the same old lies over and over again. Don't be conformed to those lies. Don't be conformed to to the age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may discern what is good, what is pleasing, and what the perfect will of God is. Listen. The Bible is the way God has chosen to be sure that we can discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect. And most Christians have never read through their Bible. They can watch, binge watch every episode of The Mandalorian. They can binge watch every episode of Friends and The Office. But they've not read through God's word from front to cover. Why? Because I don't really want to worship him doesn't seem like worship to me it's just a book it's hard to understand and it's confusing and there's all these things you're gonna look at God and be like ah whatever hi like if you want to know what God's good pleasing and perfect will is live your life surrendered listen let me give you a secret if you're young the best way for you to know what God's will is for your life is to obedient be obedient to God's will as revealed in the Scripture. If you'll do that day after day after day, it is amazing how God will open up opportunities and show you who he is and show you exactly where you need to go at the right moment. But see, when we say, God, I want to know your will, this is what we're really saying. God, I want to know your will that gets me a pretty girlfriend, a nice house, a pretty boy, and like, that, that I want to know your will that ends with my life wonderful, living sacrifice." <laughs> And God says, my will is your sanctification in Thessalonians. He says, my will is for you to become more like me. You're like, eh, you're kind of scary. I don't want to be like you. And God says, do you really want to know what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is? Then man, know the word. And don't know the word as in defined by the world, but defined by what God says. And most people, they're afraid of God's punishment, which is why they make sacrifices. Instead of making the sacrifice, because they're so confident of his love, they're so confident in who he is, they can raise their knife to their own son, believing that God would bring him back from the dead if I kill him. That's what it says about Abraham in Hebrews 11, about his, or Hebrews 12, about his faith. Abraham had faith that if he killed his own son, that God would resurrect him. A living sacrifice. And God says, no, 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 don't do it, don't kill him. And he provided a ram in the thicket a substitute and Jesus is our substitute we don't have to kill ourselves because Jesus died in our place and so we put our death on him but we don't get to say I shouldn't have to die I shouldn't have to suffer I shouldn't have to go through hard things have you read the Bible the book is full of like Ugh, it's a disaster <laughs> and then we look around and wonder I just oh, I'm just so afraid I don't know what's going to happen I'm like I can tell you what's happened God has told us the world's going to burn, like completely annihilated. I don't know how it's going to happen. It could be nuclear war. Lava could just blow out of the earth and melt us. Asteroid could hit us. And I mean, I don't know. Something's going to cause us to all burn out, like it's all gone. Bible's pretty clear on that. So do I live in panic? No. I live knowing that my job is to be a sacrifice, to be conformed to what he wants me to be. And then look at what he says, verse 3. For by the grace given to me. Look, he doesn't say by the rights, by the authority, but he says, no, by the grace. The only reason I'm telling you this is because God has had incredible grace on me. I don't deserve grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And God gave me his grace. I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. You want to know why he immediately in verse 3 goes to this? Because you and I, when we make sacrifices, you know what we normally do? up our chest, make it some sacrifices for God. And then we look at God and we're like, God, I'm sacrificing for you. And I know you're gonna come through because I'm so awesome and I'm doing things for you. And, and Paul says, I know that's exactly what you're gonna do because Paul says, that's what I did. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is one that says, I'm a living sacrifice because you've already given me everything. So I'm not trying to get anything. I'm not trying to get any prestige or power or pride. I just surrender to your grace that I don't deserve anything. And then he goes on and he says... Instead, think sensibly. Sensibly means you don't think too less of yourself and you don't think too highly of yourself. If God says you are loved and cherished because of what he has done in your life, then you believe it. Don't believe the lies of the world. And if he says you are under wrath and you deserve discipline, then you believe it. (laughs) And then he says, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. In other words, we're all at different places In our faith, we need to be careful about thinking sensibly about where we're at in the faith. Do you want to know why Jesus spent from age 12 to age 30 working construction and taking care of his family? Because the Old Testament said you could not be a priest until you were 30. He obeyed the law completely and fully. He waited. He thought sensibly about his life. I'm sure he didn't sit around from age 12 to 30 and be like, I'm not doing anything for God. I need to be across the globe. I'm the son of God, and I should be all over the world telling people. No, I'm supposed to be here in Nazareth, obeying God, walking with him, making him known, going to synagogue. That's what I'm called to do, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting until God says go, till, till the, the appointed time. Man, we don't do well with that in our culture. He goes on, he says, Now, as we have many... As we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. That's the Messiah. In other words, we've all been saved by someone other than ourselves. I can't save you. You can't save me. I don't come to church to try to get people to save me. I don't come to church to try to get you saved. I come to church so that we can declare the one who saves us. He goes on and he says, in the same way, we are many have one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Just like the Trinity, it's one God and individually they're different. Father, Son, and Spirit, God says the church is very similar. It's one church. It's one body but different parts. Let me ask you, do you embrace your part in the body? Maybe you don't know what your part is. Are you going to God's word and trying to figure it out, which he said in the passage right before this? Or are you going to him and saying, God, I know we're many parts. I don't want to think too highly of myself. I don't want to think too lowly. I don't want to say, oh, I can't be used in church. I, I don't know anything. I, I'm just a loser. No, that's the devil speaking. Don't listen to that. And don't think, I'm so gifted, I can do anything. No, that's the devil too. You come to the body saying, I want to be a a living sacrifice for the body of Christ. Listen, if you want to find the right spouse, it's simple. Find someone surrendered to the local church. If they can take care of a local bride and they know how to live with a local bride and serve a local bride, they'll serve you as a bride. And you ladies, find a man who knows how to give his life for the local church, who has led his life in church. You haven't had to drag him to church. He's taking people with him to church. He's reaching people for God. He's committed to his local congregation. He's leading. He's, find that guy. That's the guy you want because he gets this verse. Don't find some guy that's like, oh, I'll sacrifice everything for you because I love you. If you hear that from him, Run. Like as fast as you can, like forest out of the house, down the road, gump. Like get out of there. Because they don't have first place, they're putting you in first place. When Paul talks to husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, give your life. Christ gave his life for the church. And wives, submit to your husbands. As Christ did what? Submitted himself for our salvation. Guys, this isn't rocket science. It's laid out in scripture. We just don't like it, so we ignore it. He goes on and he says, according to the grace given to us, he mentions grace again, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. Prophecy is not future telling. Again, we need to define words by biblical definitions. The gift of prophecy is being a prophet, it's telling people what's true about God, what God has said. That's prophecy. Future telling is demonic. It is. God says don't go to future. T-. That's not what you want. You want to go to somebody who's going to give you the truth. They're going to prophesy over your life from the scriptures what the scriptures say. Not like I have an extra word that floated through the sky and came into my mind and now I'm giving it to you. If someone tells you that, be concerned. That's, can that happen? Yes, it's happened in scripture before. Most of the time though, when people get a new word, you know what they did in scripture? Anybody? Anybody? They what? They wrote it down. It became scripture. So if someone says, like, I've got a word for you, be like, could you please write that down so we can share it with everyone in the world because it's scripture? How about I look and I say, this is God's word for you. It's right here. This is God's word for you right Right here. That's prophecy. Prophecy is is the ability of a prophet to say, this is what God has said. It's what he's going to do. It's what he has done. It's what he said he will do. And I'm giving that to you. Then he goes on. He says, if prophecy, using it to the standard of one's faith. In other words, don't go too far. Just, Just know what you know and stay there. And then he says, if service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting. That means, you know. Calling people to great things in exhortation. If giving, then with generosity. In leading, with diligence. If you say, I want to lead, show me. Show me how you lead. Be there first and leave last and be the church chief servant. You want to be a leader? Be there first and leave last and be the chief servant. And do it over and over and over again. That's what leaders do. They don't demand it. They live it. He goes on and he says, "Look, showing mercy with cheerfulness, <laughs> oh, I just feel so bad for you i 'll pray for you didn 't seem very cheerful, <laughs> like I want, I want to pray for you, I feel bad for you. I, I want you to see hey, that God has this, and I, my heart 's broken for you, and but man, we can, we can we can go to God together. He goes on and he says, Love must be without hypocrisy, in other words." Love in our world is always looking to get something. Love in God's economy is he's given everything. He's given his best. He's given his son. It's all been given. And then he says, detest evil. Cling to what is good. How do we know what's good? Is it a feeling? i tell you what. Today, go home and live by do whatever. Actually, not just today. This week. I want you to try to live by whatever feels good and see how it goes for you. Don't get out of bed on Monday for class or for work. Be like, you know, it feels really good to lay here. I'm just going to lay here. It'll be wonderful. Everyone will understand. I'm trying to be good right now for me. Like... Good is what God says is good. What does scripture say is good to do? Then we do that. Sometimes God tells us to rest, by the way. It's good to rest. He actually made one whole day where it's like you need to have a day where you rest and worship me. Like, that's what you're to do. Not rest as in watch sports and hang out and I get to do whatever I want. That is not Sabbath. That's selfish. <laughs> Sabbath is I, I take time to pause and remember who God is and, and it's not wrong to watch sports. It's not wrong to, to kind of Have fun, Jesus had fun with his disciples. They would walk through fields and do stuff and I'm sure there were pranks. I wish we had some of them in the Bible. I know they were probably there. I mean, you get that many guys together and there's just weird stuff that's gonna happen, you know. Like, just is. And he goes on and he says, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Guys and gals, we're constantly looking for some spouse. Some eros love. Look for men and women in the church who who know what it's like to have brotherly love. They're not looking to get something from you. They're looking to give their life for the brothers and sisters of Christ. He goes on and it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Boy, that exposes whether we're a living sacrifice, right? I'm a living sacrifice right here. You all need to know, and I'm going to write it down on Facebook so all of you see my living sacrifice. Look at what I've did. Look what I've done. How about you just honor other people for what they do? And you just store up treasures in heaven and not worry about getting credit here. Because that's what a living sacrifice is. Looks like. He goes on, do not lack diligence, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. In other words, there's gonna be diligence. You're gonna have to be diligent. This doesn't happen naturally. Then he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction. You know what that means? It means you're gonna have affliction. Don't be surprised by it. Like we get surprised by affliction. It's like, I don't, I just don't know why I'm being punished. Because he said it would happen. He says, persist, be persistent in prayer. That means continue to pray to God, not to demand what you want, but to give him glory. Listen, whenever we say prayer, the first thing we think about is I'm praying for you. I had a pastor one time, I'll never forget this. The way he would do evangelism, he just recently passed away about three months ago uh, during COVID and incredible godly man and Brother Jim, his name Brother Jim, wore cowboy boots, he was a Southern man, Southern gentleman from Alabama, Brother Jim, I'll never forget, he would say, he goes, if I can pray with them, I'd share the gospel with them, and then i say, you know, do you mind if I pray with you? they say, yeah, then i just pray for them. And he said, he goes, I just bow my head and I'd say, oh, Lord, I just pray that you'd show Johnny how blessed he is, and then you'd show him how miserable he is. I pray you'd just make his life miserable till he surrenders to you. And I pray that he'd see that that's your love. He loved, you love him, and you love him enough to make you miserable. And, I, and he would just pray this prayer, and he'd say, amen. And, the, and every time, be like, the people just look at him like, I don't even know what to say. Like, there was this awkwardness of like, he's like, well, what's it matter if you're blessed and happy if you perish and go to hell? And I know that you're probably not going to come to Jesus because everything's going well. You're not going to be like, oh, my life is perfect. I really need Jesus. No. When you're miserable, you go to God. And so that's what Paul's saying. He says, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Listen, we're out because we can't gather together. When was the last time you just called somebody in the body of Christ? Hey, how you doing? Send them a note. Send them a text. Send them a video. Send them an encouragement. Hey, I thought of you today. I just wanted you to know. When's the last time you just, hey, let's, let's grab some time. Let's, like, just take time. We can do that without having to have a building. By the way, the Romans didn't have a Roman church. There was no, like, church in Rome at this time. They all went and gathered at. They just went to houses and met wherever they could. Actually, pretty soon they're meeting in the catacombs in Rome. You know where that's at? That's like going to the mausoleum in the cemetery. Like, hey, meet me at the mausoleum. Like, tell somebody that. Like, we're going to meet. Just meet me at the mausoleum. We're going to sit. It's going to be great. It's a little musty smell, kind of dead smell. But it'll be okay. It'll remind us of how great Jesus is. He's going to give us new life. (laughs) That's where they met. It goes on, it says, rejoice with those. Sorry, it says, bless those who persecute you. I have to bless people? Yeah. You have to to bless them. That means I want you to know God. (laughs) That's a blessing. I want you to know him. That doesn't mean you enable them. It means you show them what true blessing is. And then he says, and do not curse. You know, we look we're like, well, I don't curse. I don't say those words. Really? It's, it's not what the words that come out of your mouth, it's what the heart is behind it. Do you ever go, <sighs> you just said like 50 curse words in your heart. Like you're looking at God and being like, <laughs> and God's like, yeah, just let them fly. It's all right. You're already saying them, right, in your heart because you're already mad that things didn't work out the way you want them to work out. Now, would you like forgiveness? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, good. Let's move on. Like, that's cursing. (laughs) And we're like, well, I didn't, I held my tongue and I just said poo-poo. Now, should we be crash, you know, rash and crude? No, we shouldn't. But on the other hand, don't cover up cursing with like, well, I don't say the bad things. That's legalism. He goes on and he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We always want people to weep with us and, you know, like, how about you go to their level? If you understand you have everything from God, then you go to others. He says, be in agreement with one another. Don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own estimation. My goodness, this couldn't be more offensive. He doesn't say don't be wise. By the way, he says don't be wise in your own estimation. In other words, estimate what wisdom is from Scripture. There's a lot of it. There's a whole book called Proverbs, full of wisdom that we ignore all the time, and then it works out badly, and we're like, I wonder why it worked out. Like, have you read Proverbs? Like, it has all kinds of warnings in there about what not to do with finances, with relationships, with I mean, you name it, and we're like, yeah, that's nice. Solomon, he wrote that a long time ago. He goes on and he says, don't be proud. That doesn't mean don't have false humility. but And then he says, rejoice with those. This is unbelievable. Then he goes on, he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. I don't know about you, but I've said this numerous times in our church. If I had a roll cage on the front of my truck, there might be a lot of evil for evil going on when I'm driving. Just a little, you know, bumping's racing, right? NASCAR. Bumping's racing. You know, it's just a little bump. Hello? Hello? You cut me off love you have a nice day like that wouldn't be my heart he says don't repay evil for evil don't encourage evil don't be like well I don't want to repay evil for evil so I give him a thousand dollars for killing people no and then he goes on, he says, try to do what is honorable in everyone's life. In other words, it's not possible sometimes because they're not honoring God. You can't do what's honorable. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes you can't live at peace with people because they will not have the peace of God in them, and you can't have peace together. When you stand up to say, this is the line, you can't cross it, this God said, and they cross it, you're in a war and you have to decide who's right and God's the one that should be right. And there's a war when that happens. And as believers, we should patiently flesh that out, not be like, I'm right, nah. No, we should like pause and pray and seek God and invite others in so that we can move forward. And then he goes on and he says, for it is written, vengeance He says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, don't think, well, I just have to be a nice person, and then everybody will come to know Jesus, and then they'll, no, you need to be a nice person and say, you deserve wrath. I'm not going to have wrath on you, but it's coming one day, and I really want you to know Jesus before it comes. Love you. Have a nice day. Like, that's, that's what Paul's writing here. Not you get to slide, it's no big deal. And then he goes on and he says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. I don't know about you, but if I've got fiery coals on my head, which has happened to me before, I was standing under something being welded. A welding chunk of metal went down my shirt. All the way, hit me in the head, burned my, shook it. When I shook, it went down my shirt and I was doing a dance like I've never done before. I'm just grateful it didn't hit the edge of my pants and go down my pants because I probably would have dropped my pants in public and that would have been awful. I mean, it hurts so badly. When you heap coals on people's head, they're not like, oh, that feels wonderful. They're gonna fight you back. So don't expect it like, I'm gonna be nice and respond to that niceness and they're gonna be like, I love you. No, they're going to be like, yeah. He goes on and says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. With good. Like, how do we know what's good? What God says is good. So if you want to conquer evil, don't be like, well, I just want to make people happy. No. What does God say should make us happy? And let's look at that. He goes on as we wrap up. Paul lays all this out. We'll look at this next week. Paul lays all this out. He says, be a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you're going to have to constantly keep coming with your mind and surrendering it to God and say, my mind is yours. What do you want me to know? You're going to do that, and look at what he says. Look. He transitions from chapter 12, and he says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And then he says these very encouraging words. Oh, sorry. I got a little clicker happy there. He says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Everyone must. Well, not me, because I'm a living sacrifice and I'm so awesome and I'm above everyone. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. Really? I mean, I thought we elected the president. I mean, I, my, guy, my guy, you know, he won or he lost or what like that, that was me. No, not you. And he goes on, he says, So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Let me ask you, are you willing to live a surrendered life for God? Are you willing to live because it's going to look weird because people don't like submitting to the governing authorities? Does that mean we let the governing authorities get by with anything? No, not at all. You can stand up to the governing authorities and when they say I'm going to kill you, you go, okay, bye. Is there a time to stand up and fight? Absolutely, the scriptures are clear. God had his people fight in the Old Testament. We don't want Hitler to rule, so we went to war to keep Hitler from ruling and exterminating people. Good war, good thing we did. Didn't fix anything, though. We still need to submit ourselves to God. We still need to say, I am willing to not have my way, but have God's way. That's the scriptures. Can I encourage you this morning, if you have never come to God and had that moment where you've surrendered your life and you said, I'm done. I want, to f- I want my mind to be renewed. I want these things that I just read for the entire chapter to be true of me. God, I-, I just come to you and I say, help. Engage a body of believers. Remember, when Paul is writing here, he's talking in the plural all the way through chapter 12. He is not talking to you individually. He's talking, talking to us corporately, his body. And so many Christians are, it's me and God. That is so not what God's heart is. It's me and us. That's what he says. And so when we submit, we try to submit the best we can. Does that mean we do everything the governing authorities tell us? No, sometimes you can't be at peace. Sometimes you can't be honorable. It still means you've got to suffer the consequences of standing up to them, though, and we'll look at that next week. So I ask you this morning, if you've never made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, your Messiah, the one who's gonna save you, if you've never surrendered in your heart, if you've never really committed yourself to, I'm gonna really get serious about renewing my mind, would you just do that today? Would you just look at him and say, God, I don't know how to do this. You just say to do it, and and so I I wanna honor you, I wanna ask you to help me, and I want others to help me, and begin to, to live a surrendered life. Listen, it's a battle. Can I just tell you, it's so worth it. As I wrap up, on a small level, I was told to submit this week by someone. Someone walked up to me. I got done teaching at a ministry. And this individual walked up to me and he said, you need to wait. Okay. He walks up and he's the guy in charge of the ministry and he gets some money and he says, hey, I'm giving you this because you need to take your wife out. Like, have you been talking to my wife? He's like, no, I just know you, Matt. <laughs> he hands me money to take my wife out. He hands me $60. I mean, this guy lives small. He does not live an extravagant life at all. He lives a very surrendered life to Christ. I was humbled by the gift. So then we had a bonfire at our house. Some of the students came over and we social distanced around the fire. And we sang together and we had a good time and and something came up. One of the students mentioned the fact that in Brown County, they were doing a chocolate walk. I don't know if many of you women, if you heard the word chocolate walk, you're probably going to be like, what's that? And so one of our students said, man, I wish I could go, but I can't. And so we said, well, how much is it? And she said, well, the tickets are $30. Let me see. So 30 and 30 is... 60. So we said, okay, we'll go. So we jump in the car, we get to go to Brown County, we drive to Brown County yesterday, it was all last minute. Like, okay, we're gonna do this. And Susan's all excited, and we went online, the tickets were sold out. We're like, oh bummer, but you can buy tickets when you get there. Like there's two places you can go and buy tickets when you get to the boat. We're like, okay, we'll go down there, we'll go early, and then we'll we'll get tickets. Jumped in the car, Susan gets very car sick, and we forgot we're gonna be going to Brown County. By the time we get there, she's ready to vomit. She's like, I don't want chocolate. We walk up to the line. The line's like, I mean, so long. And she's just like, I don't want to stand in line. Let's just do some Christmas shopping. I'm like, okay. So we do some Christmas shopping, right? And I'm surrendering my day to my wife. We're surrendering to one another. We're, you know, it's, it's great. And so here we are, and we're walking around, and it's been about an hour and a half, and we got some Christmas stuff, and we're just enjoying being together, laughing, and enjoying our time together. All of a sudden, this lady, we're standing outside, and Susan was going into the fudge shop because she wanted a piece of peanut butter fudge, and I'm like, well, we got sixty dollars, we can afford fudge. So she goes in to get some fudge, but there's only so many people could be in there. So I'm standing outside, and this woman, I start strike up a conversation with these this couple that's I thought they were a couple, they weren't, they were um, relatives. Started sharing Christ with them, talking to them about their spiritual lives. And this guy's like, wait, you're a pastor? He goes, what kind of pastor? You know? And so I told him, Baptist. He goes, you Southern Baptist? I mean, he's just like all over this. I'm like, this guy's either saved or he's crazy. I don't know which. (laughs) He knew the Lord. She knew the Lord. And we begin to have a conversation. And she looks and she goes, hey, you know what? I invited 18 of my relatives to come down. And I bought 18 tickets. And we had a death in the family and only three people could show up. She said, would you guys like two tickets? Uh, well, we weren't going to do the chocolate, but wow. And, and so we were first, we were like, no, 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 we're not going to do it. Like she was feeling cards, no. And, and she's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with these. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like I should probably weep with those who weep and take these tickets even if we don't do it. Like, like thank you for being generous. And so we took them and, and then we went on a mission and got to every place. It was awesome. Like we were like, we're on a mission now. And like, we're going through and came home with like, it was adult trick or treat. It was so awesome. My bag got so heavy, the handles ripped. It was incredible, right? And all the time, God is just looking and he's saying, we submitted to the governing authorities. We had masks on, six feet. We tried to do our best. And, and all the time, God's just saying, hey, I, I love you. He didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to provide any of that to show us his love. He didn't have to do any of it. But I was asked to submit somebody and I did and God said, thank you for submitting, Matt. Thanks for listening to somebody else besides yourself because I'm trying to bless you and I'd like to show what that looks like when you listen to others and you serve others. That humbled me. And it was a great day. We had a blast. It was so wonderful. And Clint, Loved when we got home with all that stuff. Like he was like, score. Let me ask you, are you ready to have a life that's surrendered to God? It doesn't always mean it's going to be easy, it doesn't always mean you get chocolate. <laughs> man, it's worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I want to thank you that you call us to live as a living sacrifice for you. And man, God, you are so good to us. And. Lord, I thank you that Paul writes this book in Romans. He speaks to a culture that's so similar to ours, and so I praise you that we can take confidence in who you are. Father, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, if they have not surrendered their life to you, if they have not come to a place where they've made you Lord of their life, I pray they do it today. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that You've given us your word to renew our minds. What a gift it is to us. And so we thank you for that. Father, help us to live lives that find joy in obeying you, that find joy in knowing you, that find joy in in sacrifice, biblical sacrifice, not joy in selfish sacrifice, but joy in looking at you and saying it's all yours and you're just asking me to give a part and I'm glad to give everything. Thank you that that's the kind of God you are, that you gave everything for us, even your son. We praise you, we thank you this morning in your name. Amen.